I am unashamed. What about you? So the mist known as Zach is flown back into our presence again. Zach, we we last podcast you were coming and going, but it looks like you're here today. Are you here? Yeah, we're hardwired. See what happened was what had happened was uh, the internet situation was unstable. So now what I've done is I've I've had a, a computer that's stationary to my right, which I'm looking at right now. You can't see it on camera. And it's hardwired into yeah. the internet. Sometimes you just got to hardwire. You just got to go. No, the lesson there is do not put your faith in the internet. <laughs> That's All true. Right. Dad, Dad, can you agree with that point? I live by it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go home now. That's uh, it's it. Drop the mic. Did I, miss it? Did, I, did I miss anything, though? I well, know I was you missed, out on over. Yeah, you missed a lot. Uh, <clears throat> the main thing was, in my opinion, you know, we, we have overtime segments that we – have and of course you have to subscribe to have those segments and so we went into the overtime yesterday and jason had a story to illustrate he, he had, it wasn't a story i was bearing my soul i told a secret <laughs> well, it was when you forgot you were going to tell the story to illustrate because you'd used a keller illustration in the regular podcast yeah about how children have a hard time understanding time and justice Oh, I can't believe you remember that. I remember it, it really revealed a lot. It was to a me, great illustration. Thinking of that illustration, and kids so, want justice now. Yep, and they don't understand the concept of time. And no you, understanding. And we'll be there in three hours. You might as well have told them three years. There's going to be and Zach. Eight. You have a lot of kids, so you should totally be able to relate to that, right? You go so, on a trip. Since, since the theme of Second Peter is about growing in Christ and maturing and growing up. I thought it was a great illustration. It was very good. Because when you apply it to the afterlife and judgment day, we we have the same problems wrapping our head around that. Because we're, right. we're, we're literally, from God's perspective, kids who we don't understand what heaven or hell is going to be like because we haven't been there. And the timing thing is pretty much the same where where everybody's wondering when it's going to happen or predicting when it's going to happen or being impatient about it or just denying that it's going to happen. So he gets to the end of the podcast and he was making this illustration, which I thought was really good. And we get in the overtime and he said, oh, I should have, or actually we get to the end of the podcast, we're about to start overtime. And he says, oh, I should have told my Christmas story. Well, it's a perfect illustration that, for to my illustrate past. this from my own past, and I was like, "Well, tell this story in overtime." It's <laughs> I shouldn't have done it, <laughs> so now, I had no idea this story that I've never heard before. And I thought I'd heard all of Jason's stories, <laughs> well, and I didn't realize how entertained I was going to be by this story. So, in my opinion, those of you who have not made the leap to overtime, this story alone would have been worth a subscription to Blaze TV. So. So we decided to revisit it, Zach, since you missed it yesterday, since you were having internet trouble. Well, and Jace has new information because it also included a an updated story that involved Cole and Missy. And apparently you went home and told Missy what you did and, and I don't know, update us on what happened. I guess you're well, going to have to tell the whole thing now. Well, I walked in after the podcast and Missy's like, she always says, how'd it go? I said, oh, it was, I thought it was fantastic. We... We're really getting down deep into Second Peter, some difficult, dangerous type passages. I feel good about it. And uh, I said, you know, I kind of, I, uh, I just let my childhood memory out there. And I said, I don't know why everybody thought it was funny. And she's like, what childhood memory was that? I should have just said, nah, let's just leave it there. You know, I'm an idiot. I... I told her, I said, well, you remember when I told you about my mom because we didn't have any money, and I one of the few things I got excited about was Christmas. And and look, I'm a, I was selfish. I just wanted free stuff. And so I was just annoying her by saying, when's it going to be here? When are we, when are we getting our prep? How, how long before Christmas? I was doing what kids do. Because you didn't understand time. I didn't understand time. And I one morning I said, look, when is it going to happen? And she said, never. <laughs> and I was like, never. I mean, I was devastated. We're not doing Christmas this year. So I run. 
Yeah, it was, sounds horrible, but she Where was she, she was just die. thinking I'll lower his expectation. It's it's just like the second coming. She's like, if you don't have an expectation, I mean, it was the second Peter three argument. I just now realized it. She was like, where's this coming? Everything goes on as it's always been going on. It's not coming. You're getting nothing. We're not doing it. Because she was thinking, one, he'll quit talking about it. Two, his expectations will be so low. That's right. When it does come, he'll, he'll, be, so he'll surprised. be surprised. It's but like a it thief. devastated me. <laughs> so I wrote a letter to Santa Claus because I believed in Santa Claus. So what was your age at this time? I was six, seven years old. I was a kid. Yeah. But I was devastated. That's why I remember it. I was specific. I want Miami Dolphins gear from Santa Claus. So what happened was when I got the stuff, she was right. But I, I wasn't warm and fuzzy toward her because I thought, well, she lied. <laughs> and Santa Claus came to the rescue. Still came to town. Yeah. Santa, Santa Claus is coming to town. It's a song. But, but so my, then she but realized. still the villain. That's what I love. Uh, well, Mama's still the villain. So then she realized she had messed up because I had a terrible attitude then. I was like, no thanks to you. Santa Claus bailed you out. You ought to be thankful. Well, then she thought, well, now I got him believing in a in a person that doesn't exist. So she's like, let me tell you something. I am Santa Claus. <laughs> well, now I'm devastated again. Yeah. <laughs> she's <laughs> dash dream number two. So I'll go through the story with Missy, and she's like, well, it all makes sense now. And I could tell by her tone. So what do you mean? She's like, I mean, I'm just going to tell you, when you told Cole that there was no Santa Claus, it wasn't that you told him that. It was that you covered it up for years. <laughs> and you don't realize, and I'm just standing here. This is yesterday after the podcast. She said, I'm sitting in my room, and my 12-year-old son comes in there and tells me that his dad, my husband, told him eight years ago that there was no Santa Claus. And you let me go through all the motions every year. I didn't realize he was four years old. <laughs> but I had this memory. And I'm going to tell you, Al, I, I figured in 20 years we had gotten through this. The wound was like I had just stabbed her in the back. It was, it was oh, like yeah. the band-aid oh, got ripped off. She's like, he's four years old. He wasn't old enough to handle that. She was raising her voice. Yeah. Not like yeah. screaming, but just like, how could you not think? You were right back into it. I said, babe, I had a well, child. Did at any time somebody suggest the fact that evidently now he's in his early 20s and he's doing well in business? Well, I brought that up, but it was not, I mean, <laughs> not the right I time. mean, it wasn't life-changing in a negative way for sure. Yeah, probably, yeah. Probably will get there, but not today. Well, the problem was they had this thing that they, she put up. Uh, it's called an elf, a moving elf or something. Do you all know what that is? Elf uh, on the shelf. Elf on a shelf. Yeah, the so, moving elf. Somebody, obviously, uh, you know, with imagination, comes up with this elf that they put on a shelf, and then they move it during the night while the kid's asleep. I was vehemently opposed to this because I was like, what are we teaching, magic tricks to our kids, you know? Well, Missy was doing this because it's helping them believe in Santa Claus or whatever. It's bringing back the magic. And so he came in there, and he's like, Dad, he's four years old. So what about this? This I mean, I just can't believe. I mean, every night there's they're, they're moving that. I was like, your, your mom's moving that. This is not real. She's doing that to cause excitement about Santa Claus, and he's not real either. We're we're Santa Claus, so you be a good boy, and you instantaneous with talk like that became a target. Well, but I said, here's the deal: don't tell your mom. So eight years, the conspiracy went on, and at twelve, he was going. You know, we're all when we're twelve. Well, you could be arguing about a lot of other stuff that was more important. Than no, that. we weren't arguing. I was being chastised. Yeah. <laughs> so, so thank you. You, you did the right thing. You did the Boy. right thing. You, I think you did the right thing. So everybody's I, I wasn't clean big, now. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of the Santa Claus. You know, we've had. I mean, I I, I told my kids early. Jill got mad about it. Uh, yeah, I, did, I never was a big fan of the whole the whole story. You know what I mean? Yeah, and some people. Well, look, I apologized to her yesterday. I was like, well. 
Because I mean, I should. You were coming from your own experiences, you know. I mean, yeah. I was. You, you were hurt, hurt people, hurt people. You know what I mean? I apologize for the cover up. I said, you know, I should have just told her. Now that was true. Yeah. You see what I mean? Because yeah, right. then all of a sudden I'm like, right. don't you tell your mom? Which and then he goes and tell. It's like on his conscience from eight. I, I forgot that even happened. See, I didn't know he was four. She informed me yesterday. He was four years old, Jace. I was like, have we not got past this? <laughs> so anyway. Well, we can laugh about it now. Uh, I was trying to make an illustration. I don't want our listeners to be surprised when Jesus comes back. <laughs> My heart was I still, right. I still thought the illustration was good, and it's, I don't know why it was so funny to me, but I, I, it was just something. Well, like that's what she me. said. She said, why did they think that was funny? I said, I really don't know, but they laughed about it the whole time. I she said, was... that's not funny. <laughs> I know, but it still makes me laugh. There's something about the Miami Dolphins. I don't know. It just, I don't know. It also. Well, then she makes it worse, and she said, well, I really thought Dan Marino was cute back then. I was like, <laughs> See, that's funny. I mean, Dan I said, really? I said, he shaved. <laughs> she said, what's that got to do with anything? I said, look who you married. How could you think he was cute? He's the total opposite of me. That's right. But with the curly hair. It was just one of those marital uh, conflicts. Yeah. Luckily, we... You know, it ended on a positive. It could have been worse. We can all we can all laugh. She about gave it. me a she gave me a hug and kissed me on the forehead. Well, I won't bring it up for to her. For she sure. said, "I love you anyway," and I said, "Well, thank you, babe." So we we got through it. Well, there we go. <clears throat> well, there you go. That's so, Zach. That's what you missed yesterday. It was a lot of I missed. A, looks like I missed a lot. Wow. It, it was therapeutic. We all got through it. We can talk about it. We can work out our differences and. There you go. Is that not the argument of Second Peter 3? It is. Where's this coming? Verse 4. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of right. creation. That's exactly and right. And then Peter gives them a reminder of what happened with the flood. We talk a lot about, on this podcast, about our commitment uh, to pro-life and we all kind of have different ways that we do that i know zach that you guys do a lot and jill does a lot uh, i know she volunteers and works with a children's home up there tell us a little bit about what you guys do yeah she's on the board of the children's home up here they have like a couple hundred kids they put to bed every night and so she's yeah she's full-fledged into it we uh we devote a lot of time to that place really trying to help Help the mission there, and and we we all do events, um, both on the adoption side. Uh, you guys have adopted, um, done foster care. Uh, Jason, Missy have done that as well. Others in our family have adopted. Lisa and I do a lot on the front end in terms of, uh, you know, on the pro life in terms of pregnancy centers, a lot of abortion minded uh, situations, and we've done a lot of work for uh, one of our sponsors which is a group called 40 Days for Life. We've had Sean Carney, who's their uh, president, on our podcast before, and I think Sean's coming on uh, next month as well. And so they do a fantastic job. And, uh, you know, really just they go into cities uh, all around the world. Uh, They have over a million volunteers in 1,500 cities. They're the largest pro-life organization in the world. And uh, they have saved over 23,000 babies. They've helped convert 247 abortion workers around the world, which is amazing. They have these 40-day campaigns where they go in to spend a lot of time in prayer. They've helped close 132 abortion facilities in America. 45% of those were in liberal states where abortion is still legal. So we're really behind these guys. We want you to check out their locations, their podcast. They have a free magazine. Uh, So you go to 40daysforlife.com. Stay updated on all of the things that they're doing. That's 4040daysforlife.com. Check them out. So we kind of left it off talking about, we were going to talk about heaven itself kind of the, because we talked about, uh, Zach, we brought out this idea of the new heaven and new earth, and we want to explore a little bit more about that for sure, because um, we we kind of ended, Jay's talking about that concept. From, yeah, I brought up, you know, Isaiah brings that up. Right. But he brought it up in a picture that when Jesus came, he would fulfill the law, 
I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but it would be a new heaven and a new earth for literally the globe, because now the Holy Spirit would become available. The yeah, Isaiah old system was, of was law pointing to Jesus's era, the 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 church era, when he was talking about the establishment of the kingdom of God. Now I'm saying that as fact. Some people believe that it, you know Isaiah's referencing the same thing right. Peter's referencing right. here, and that's fine. Yep. But we do have a difference. Well, right. View that differently. But all I was saying is the <laughs> phrase is is was symbolic back in their day of a new world. Right. A new, a new set era. of circumstances. A new. I don't. I don't have a strong enough word for it. So I'm not sure exactly what heaven's going to be like, or if it's a renovated earth, or it's it's a heavenly earth. But I know that we're going to be resurrected. We're going to have imperishable bodies. We will live forever. We'll be with other believers and other relationships that we formed in and through Christ. Right. And I, how that's, what's that's going to look like, I'm really not that concerned. Well, Jesus stacked up uh, beside the cosmos. Hebrews 1, about verse 5 or 6 your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says in the beginning, now here's a timeline type thing, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. It's interesting that Peter makes a point that both will perish, and the Hebrew writer said the same thing in verse 11, Hebrews 1. They, the heavens and the, and the earth, they will perish, but you remain, for they all wear out, they'll all wear out like a garment. You'll roll them up, heaven and earth, and, and uh and your years will never, you remain the same, and your ears will, ear, uh, years will never end. And then he makes a point about the, about the angelic beings. But that is kind of interesting that it does follow a pattern. The Bible writers said the heavens and the earth. Peter said like a big wind, it's going to be the elements and everything will melt in the heat. It's completely and totally obliterated. But the sons and daughters of God live on. Yeah, and there is a final change to whatever that's the, the final eternal you know, existence is going to be. The end of verse 12 and 13, the second part of 12, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So there's, there's the Hebrew writer stacked up next to what Peter was saying. But the, the, There's going to be some big changes coming, ladies and gentlemen. But we, and as we said, the, the terminology has been around for a while. Another one, Jace, we didn't mention, but in line with the Isaiah 65, Jesus said in Matthew 24, which when we studied Matthew, we talked about that potentially being what happened in AD 70, or it could be the end of time, is he said heaven and earth, again, will pass away, <clears throat> but my words will never pass away. Yep. Same again picture. Yep. Was he talking about? That's the picture. Yeah, end of time, you know, another era. But then he I mean, said in that same context, this generation will not pass away before this has happened. So again, it's this languaging of the idea about that there's something new and something different. Yeah, I think ultimately it's it's that it's that waiting place that that it's what we're waiting for. However, you really interpret it, it's the place that um, yeah, you know, was it Romans eight says the creation waits with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed and uh, to be liberated from its bondage to decay and you know it, all the groans that we all kind of groan as as a creation that this this is the this is the the place where that's made new. It's the place where where the new heaven and the new earth, new earth are made whole. Um, going back to the Hebrew writer, Hebrews nine uh, talks. I think it's Hebrews nine. It talks about the the copies. You know, the tabernacle was a copy of of the the temple that we're in now. Um, I think that's in Hebrews nine. And I think that the heaven and the earth they're all copies 
of of the ultimate and final uh, or the finality of what uh, God is accomplishing. So whenever whatever it is, whenever this new heaven and and new earth arrive, we do know it's going to be the place where where our tears are wiped away. It's going to be the place of victory. The final battle has been won. We are now dwelling with our God in in uh, in glory, and that's I mean that's that's what we're waiting on. I mean it's what the resurrection points us to the final it's the obliteration place. of wrong That's it, it. Yeah. it's a home of righteousness you know it's which is pretty interesting that you're in a place where nothing wrong ever happens it's always yeah. okay right death has been yeah. conquered i mean you know it's uh it would be very very good <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it's a passage of hope you know what i mean oh what yeah we're anchored into well i wanted to mention because we talked just a little bit about it yesterday, but there's a passage in Matthew 6 where Jesus says something interesting, and I want to get y'all's take on it, when he says, uh, Matthew six nineteen, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yeah. So that concept, treasure in heaven, what do you think he meant by that? I mean, because that's where a lot of this concept comes from, Jason. We're talking about these these images that we read about in Revelation and others where that's it's a complete eradication of sin, wrong, pain, uh war in your mind right you know you, you know you know you could take the fruit of the spirit those things you say that's where these things are yeah and that's what you'll be given right you know love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithful gentleness self-control it, it it's it, everything is it's all the negative all the tears all the I'm not worth anything. It, it all comes to a head, and it'll be that way forever. It is quite quite a. It's a better story than the atheist story where there's there's no God and this thing got here via a big explosion somehow. They don't. It, it's this is covered, and this is a far better story than th- there's nothing out there. One thing's for sure is it can't be the very things that are described on the earth, as we made this point in the last podcast, the jewels and the gold and all that stuff that he's talking about that are on the earth. Which is is what a lot of the songs are about. Because the thing about it, he says, those are the things that can be stolen and that rust and destroy. He's like, it won't be that. Yeah. So this idea that somehow that heaven is like a big vault that nobody can get into, that one day, man, we're going to be able to, those are our treasures. That's exactly the point he's I mean, I go the the thieves and the robbers. They don't exist anymore. Well, that's the deal. There's no thieving, right? I mean, the the idea of thieving. You put some of your equipment down, whatever you whatever you're carrying, (laughs) and nobody will steal it. It'll still be there when you get back. Which is so funny, Dad, because you you, we've talked about this before on the podcast. That was always a big deal with you. Is you should be able to to set something down and not having to worry about somebody picking it up. That was always a thing with you. I've learned that lesson being on planet earth for 76 years. And, and to you in heaven, that would be a neat thing to be able to do that. Right. I mean, well, I will guarantee you. So you got, you got this picture, you know, when Jesus said, uh, where was that in John three or four, maybe five that he said, there'll be a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. You know, the righteous to live and the wicked to be condemned. Is that John 5? Let me find that. So, so then you have, I'm looking for it. Yeah, John 5, 28, 330. And then you have First Thessalonians 4. You know, Zach brought up First Thessalonians, uh, the last podcast. The second Thessalonians 1, yeah. First Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen. I mean, gives you a visual of the resurrection actually taking place. the The bodies coming out of the ground, the people still alive being changed in the twinkling. Yeah, and then we're talking about flying. Not that we have to fly. I mean, it's translated 
and you know we meet the Lord in the air. Some people call it the rapture. But I will guarantee you that somebody will grab a suitcase of money when this all goes down. Because they're thinking, what's happening? Where are we going? There'll be somebody that's thinking, well, I may need this. Yeah, <laughs> but you may be going the wrong way if that's your first instinct. But I'm just saying, what if it started that started pulling you back down, would they let it go? That's the question. You know, do y'all agree that somebody's going to grab a suitcase yeah. of money? They're going to do I it. I think where we're going, the last hey. thing you're going to need is money. They're going to grab a passport. They're going to grab some money. And they're going because in every movie you've ever seen, these doomsday scenarios, sheer panic breaks out. What do they call it? Your gold, though. You got your uh, what they call it? Your your stash bag or something? Your bug out bag. Bug out bag. That's it. You got to take that with you. Yeah, to Jace's point, here's why I know they'll grab the bag of money. Somebody asked me literally yesterday. They said, "What are you doing about the?" potential coming bank banking collapse are you have you got all your cash out at your house and i'm like let me tell you something if if the bank collapses like like what you're talking about cash ain't gonna be worth anything anyways and and it's just i mean it's kind of futile we got bigger fish to fry so you take that and you multiply that times infinity and that's what you're up but but there will but there will be people that i'm sure will say oh we got to grab this one last thing not realizing like what's about like what we are what we're walking into, yeah, you know, no, exactly. Now I want to bring up. I brought up Luke sixteen because I really think it gives you a a picture of the finality of this. And I was going to tie it in with you know after First Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen, which I find very encouraging that we're going to meet the Lord in the air and we're out of here. Yeah, I like it. Well, he continues that thought. Somebody put chapter five. It really is just a continuation. Then he starts talking, using the same kind of language that Peter used when he's like, well, this day shouldn't surprise you like a thief, even though he's coming like a thief. Because if, you know, First Thessalonians 5, 1 says about times and dates we, didn't, we, don't, we don't need to discuss. And Peter seems to be bringing that up because everybody wants to know, oh, well, when is it going to happen? You say, why do they want to know? Well, because they want to be ready. I mean, and they want to know that it's real. If, if people knew, well, they would start making changes in their lives. But the reason I want to tie that in with uh, Luke 16 is I find it interesting that most people think, well, if I knew hell was real, well, I would change my life. But that's the same argument that the rich man had in hell. He was like, at the end, when you get to that story, he's like, now look, uh, I beg you, this is Luke 16, 27. Now, he's in hell. This is Jesus telling this, what I call a parable with a real person, I guess. But he said, I, I beg you, <clears throat> send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And that pretty well sums up, I think, people's thoughts. They're like, if hell is real, prove it to us, and then we'll... Get that we'll, out to our kin folks. Yeah, we. I mean, he basically was asking for Lazarus to come back from the dead with a letter from him, from the rich man, to his brother saying, look out below. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. So, but but notice what Jesus does with this story. Because 29, Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. Because what when you think about reading in between the lines, what's his point? Well, the Moses and the prophets, they pointed people to Jesus and why he had to come. And the motivation behind Jesus' ultimate death, right? And a lot of there was, and a lot of unbelievers were there too. Well, right. So then he says, "No, Father Abraham." He said, "But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent." So he, you know, the rich man has gotten this theology in hell. He's now making a theological argument. If someone from hell comes back, people will repent. I mean, it's interesting to me that Peter 
is saying something totally different. He's, he's saying the reason you have the ability to repent is God's patience. He's, 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 he's patient, and we know that he's given And, give, and, ki- and kindness. Yeah. There's another verse where it was, Paul says that, right? Yeah, exactly. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So then, I think it's interesting, so 31 says, He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Well, that's, that's an interesting thought, because you're like, well, wait a minute. No, I would believe if somebody came back from the dead. But when you think about it, you would only believe because you would be looking out for yourself. And it's, it's why we should talk about hell and we should point out that it's real and people are going to go there. But it's not the motivation to repent because that's still about you. You're only repenting because that's in your best interest. And so that's why he's going to get to the second, end of Second Peter, which we'll do next podcast. And what's he get back to? Grow in grace. Because really, you, it has to be based, which I think is what his point was in Luke 16 about Moses and the prophets. You understand who Jesus is and what it cost him to save you and, and why he did it. And then all of a sudden, you're basing uh, uh, your decision on that instead of you being kept from harm. So ultimately, that's what we're discussing. That's why we don't spend as much time about talking about hell or, you know, Judgment Day, because we are focused on the grace of God. That is the foundation by which you you act and perform. You're not simply looking out to try to save your own skin, which is why Jesus was debunking his argument from hell. Having said all that, it is noteworthy. It should get your attention that this is this is not the way you want to you know and that should lead you to pursuing a relationship with Jesus and being the key of where where you right the you you don't want to focus on the negative but at the same time you want to realize being away from it's God it's there it's there it's there and don't be listening to scoff I think his overall Peter's point was don't be listening to these nonsensical people saying oh there's no there's no judgment day there's no yeah. I mean. My poor mom, you, you don't want to say Christmas is not coming. <laughs> don't worry about it. Because why did she tell me that? Because she wanted me to quit being, you know, worrisome about it right. and driving her crazy. Right. Then I was like, well, it's not coming. I don't. Who cares then in life? Right. She didn't realize that the depression started, which is just what happens in our life. If there's no end and there's no God and there's no judgment day and there's no new beginning. Well, then now what? Now we're all, and there's no reward. Yeah. No reward. And life can be, which we didn't answer that question, but my opinion is the reward is other people. I don't know what else it could be. It's a relationship with God that's forever and it's other people. I didn't answer. I mean, I didn't quite finish my thought when I read that text from Matthew six. He says, "For where your treasure in verse twenty one is, there your heart will be also." So it, it that tells me that when you're when you're thinking about being in heaven, it does something to you. And 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 I want to follow that up with reading this from Hebrews eleven. Because this is pretty amazing. Thinking about what Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, put that in with this thought. So he, he he's talking about these people of faith, Noah and Abraham. And then he says this in verse 13. And think about this. In relationship to your treasure and your heart being in heaven already, even though you're living on earth. What verse is that? This is uh, Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13. Mm-hmm. All these people who's been talking about, Abraham, Noah, you know, that have lived before by faith. We're still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And particularly, I think he's talking about Abraham, because remember, Abraham was called to go somewhere that he wouldn't even see the finished product. That would happen hundreds of years later after he was gone. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, 
Now, everything could have been earthly up to this point until he says this, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That might be why we keep seeing these people try to reroute everything and a lot of sinful behavior. They're looking for the perfect country. Yeah. And so far, they haven't found it. Right. And so it's interesting that— Empires, power, the, the countries— Utopia, Whether, right? Oh, yeah. You, you know, and, and you have all these dictatorships, and yeah. you know, you have what we have now, which is a complete chaos. Chaos. And we keep thinking we're looking for a better country, you know. I said, well, is, is Jesus in there somewhere? No, he you know, We just have the right politics, the right party, the right this. Yeah. But everything is about earthly. But even Abraham, who was called to something that he wouldn't see in his lifetime, still had a vision of something better. And I get that idea from what Jesus said. It was always about something better. And God said, look, you only know the half of it. What I have for you, the treasure I have for you, is so much bigger and better. It's not even of this earth. Yeah. See, I just think it's himself. And Eternal life is quite the concept. I mean, uh, being, with the, being with God is the reward. Right. That's I, just, uh, I mean... You think you think about what Phil just said. Eternal life is is quite the thing, and then you said at the same time that it's, it's Him, which is exactly what Jesus said in John seventeen three. He he defines eternal life as knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ, His Son, whom He sent. So I I think that like John Piper has a great uh, book called God is the Gospel, and his point is his main point is it's it's this isn't a formula. This isn't some. We're not after eternal autonomous life. You know, when you get to heaven, heaven's not heaven because of the streets of gold. Heaven is heaven because it's where God dwells. And so that's the same theme in Ephesians. I mentioned it in the last podcast on Ephesians three about God dwelling with us. It's uh, in Exodus when it talks about make a tabernacle for me. Why? So that I may dwell with my people. Um, you know, when he when he institutes the temple, why did he build the temple? Because he wants to dwell with his people. And now we are the new temple. You know, and I was thinking when you mentioned that Matthew 6, you know, when Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount, you know what he said? He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And then here in Second Peter, right after he goes into this whole talk about hell, what we're talking about now, the real motivation, I think, is verse 13, which says, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth. And this is the key phrase in which righteousness dwells because God dwells there. So the reason why Jesus can say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled is because in the new heaven and the new earth, righteousness will dwell because God will dwell there. And we will be in that right relationship with him, which is what we were created for. And I think that's the summation of all of this. I can live with that. Can't you? (laughs) I'm oh, live yeah. without hope, but it is. It's a tangible hope. It's a personal hope. It's a hope yep. in a person. It's not a hope in a. a it's not a, an autonomous life. I think that's sometimes we we want to think it's like heaven's going to be us living autonomously uh, in some place that has golden streets, and I'm going to have a mansion. But I mean, that's kind of what the the guy in the the story of Lazarus. I mean, he was in it for himself. He just he didn't really love God. He just didn't want to suffer. And fear is, it is a motivation, and I think it's proper for us to have a, a, a motivation for a, a fear, but it can't be the only motivation. The primary motivation for life in the kingdom is love. It's connection. It's I want to be with Jesus. You never had to, when I was dating Jill in college, nobody had to say, hey, man, you need to make sure you spend time with her. I wanted to be with her. I wanted to spend all of my time with her because I was in love with her. And it's the same way with God. You know, that's what it's. A, imagine being in a relationship where you desire this other person so intensely, but you actually got to be with them all the time. And it's it, it, that's a that's a, a copy. It's a shadow of, of what God is is uh, offered us in Jesus. Yeah, and I noticed I got Alex to to uh, run me a copy of you know heaven is a very popular word and topic in a lot of popular songs, both in all genres. But I've noticed just from looking at them, a lot of them you recognize, but it's mostly the idea in most of these songs is not that heaven is 
beyond us. It's like bring heaven to here. Like heaven, you know, the idea is mm-hmm. we can bring heaven to us. Heaven's just a little piece of this. And yeah, heaven will be on earth. Yeah, it's all here, right? I mean, that, that most songs. Yeah, are, I believe just the opposite. I think it is the, the opposite. hell's on earth and That's the fire right. That's right. is <laughs> raging every day. I'm leaning what's, what you're saying. I'm no, leaning that and, way. I really time. think that's what happens. And at the end of the day, because what does fire do? You know, we talked about this uh, last podcast. It it tends to, uh, you know, when the fiery trials come up, I and mean, what was his whole point? You you have two choices. You can either put your trust in, in God and, and hunker down and keep going and persevere, or you can become bitter or angry or, you know, try to find some some way to heal the pain outside of Jesus, you know? I mean, this, that, that, those are the two two roads. So I think hell is ultimately just an extension of what happens on the earth. Because once you're isolated you know, from God, it, you, you know, you're in hell. It's a place, it's a place heaven is. The Hebrew writer said that's why he came, so that by his death he could deliver those from death who were afraid <laughs> of death their entire life. But But Jesus yeah. solved that. It'll be, it's devoid, heaven was devoid of death. You just live on and on and on. You never even well, contemplate death. Yeah, I Pretty agree. Powerful. But think about uh, John, but think about what Jesus said in John 17, 3, though, because it is important. We do, I believe the kingdom is here, the kingdom of heaven is here in, in part. It's not in its full summation or consummation because, um, because there's still sin here. But if, if if Jesus is right, which he is right because he's Jesus, when he says that eternal life is to know the one true God and Jesus Christ, his son, whom he sent, John 17, 3, that's true. The question you have to ask is when does that ha- when can that happen? And that can happen right now, today, in this very moment, which means that I'm not waiting, you know, to grind out my 80 years on earth and then die and I get to go to heaven and and have eternal life. What that means is, is that today at 45 years old, I am experiencing eternal life. I'm already in the, the eternal life of God. Now it's not fully here and we still have sin, pain, and struggle, and there's a hope, a future hope. So it's the already, but not yet kind of thing. You know, it's, it's not yet. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's no, I think, I think you're both. making a great point. Cause I want to go back. Very, very good point. I want to make the point that when you got to go back to Second Peter 1, 4, where he started this, or 3 and 4, when he said, His power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. And he's given us these promises so that we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Yeah, there it is. And my point is, when he gets down to the end and starts talking about judgment days coming and and how this is going to work in the new heaven and the new earth. When he says in verse 11, you ought to, you know, what, what do you, what, what should you do? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. But he's always addressing Peter, like every other new Testament writer, they're always addressing people who have been born again. Yep. You, you, when you go back to his first letter, you remember that talking about being born again, and and every other writer does the same thing. I think the world thinks, oh, they hear about hell, they hear about Judgment Day, and they're like, you know, I think I ought to try to do better. I need to get back into church. And they're missing the key thing here is that God has given us everything through understanding who Jesus is and the power of the Holy Spirit. We actually participate, to Zach's point, on earth, being in the kingdom. Of heaven, we have the divine nature inside of us, yep, and it nurtures us, and we grow in in this faith as we as we go along. You but sleep better too. He's not trying to get you <laughs> just to to do something, you know, and, and to make some changes based on what's fixed to happen. It's it's bigger than that. You're born again. He takes over in your life. You become a new creature. You become his, you know, mouthpiece down here. But you're also Growing as in realizing that this is going to be eternal, me existing with God in a relationship. That's why persecution tends to have not much of an effect on the sons and daughters of God. 
it's, so, it's well, not an issue. They're not going to bust. Exactly. So, Zach, so the Apostle Paul agrees with the point you made. Here's what he said in Philippians 3.19. Their mind is on earthly things, people who he had described, but our citizenship is in heaven. You got it. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. Well, that's the key phrase. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Yeah. So, so there's present tense. That's and enough fuel future. for me right yeah. there. I'm glad you brought that up. I thought about that verse earlier. but Because I want to read something, which we, we haven't done when talking about this subject before. If you read Revelation 21 and verse 21, that's easy to remember. Because people say, what about this streets of gold? What, 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 what's the, I'm, I, where's the street of gold? I'm going to take a left on the street of gold and meet Jesus. So if you, you read you, it. You don't need a pickaxe to get your share of the gold. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, so when people are grabbing their money when we're going to heaven. This I gold, may, you don't dig this up. I may grab an axe, a pickaxe. You don't need it. If the street is gold. Okay, that's funny. So 2121 says the 12 gates. There were 12 gates, there were 12 pearls, and each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was a pure gold, like transparent glass, which is kind of weird. I've never seen gold that you could so, see. So through. when you get to heaven, get ready for the last well, gold rush. Read that. But if you back <laughs> up and say, well, what was, what was the thrust of this? You know, so when you read, this is probably the most famous passage outside of John 3:16 in the Bible. But the first couple of verses of Revelation 21 says he saw a new heaven and a new earth. Mm-hmm. Same same phraseology that Peter's using, same phraseology that Isaiah is using. And uh and for for the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw and the- and the first heaven First heaven and earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. Now, when people people read this, I'm not thinking about that street of gold, whatever picture that was in 2121. I'm like, wait a minute now. This is God... Whether this judgment, you know, and, and the way we think, there was an end time judgment, you know, on on the uh, on the Roman Empire, on the destruction of Jerusalem. There's yeah, been the, many the gold other, rush is over. Yeah, there's been many other end time judgments uh, in our in our culture, and there'll probably be more, and there will be a final judgment. But all these judgments can be compiled with one central theme which is that God will be with his people and they'll be, they'll be, uh, he'll be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order has passed away. And look, I mean, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but yeah, it, it continues it to, to focus on the relationship uh, of being with God. In verse 7, it says, He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Which he's saying that in the with the inheritance in mind, you know? Yep, yep. Well, then when you look at verse, uh, there's another verse in here that's in verse 10. It says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like. And so he then gives all this description, which Streets of Gold was part of it, of the greatest jewels, the greatest visual image of describing the relationship with God and his people. Because watch what he gets when he gets to 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is the lamp. And so my my point is, when you read Revelation 21, there's one clear point above all others, that God wants an eternal relationship with people. All this visual image is describing 
the intimacy, the beauty of this relationship that he created through giving his son to die and be resurrected to give us our path. Yep. So I just think if you read that and all of a sudden you're like, boy, I can't wait to see that street of gold. Well, you just missed the whole point. You, you took one little imagery of something and just missed the dynamic that he was trying to convey that God can dwell in people and be closer than any other relationship that you've ever even dreamed of. Yep. What's the cool thing about this? I know we're out of time, but I got to say this one last thing. The, the, the really cool thing about what you just read was that as, that was the second to the last chapter of the Bible. And, and if you back up to the beginning of the Bible, there's two, two key verses, Exodus 25, 8. This is what God said. And let them make me a sanctuary. And here's the purpose, that I may dwell in their midst. That was the building of the tabernacle. They failed miserably at that. Then he institutes the temple, 1 Kings 6, 11, and uh, build me a temple and I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will not forsake my people Israel. Fast forward to Malachi. It didn't work. Jesus comes, institutes the new kingdom. He tells the people uh, right before he goes, uh, uh, he sees the temple. The apostles are like, wow, look at the stones of the temple. He said, yep, they're all coming down. 40 years later, they did come down. The temple burned. The whole thing is disruptive. And then the very end of the book of the Bible, it's it's a new temple that's being established, which is Christ as the cornerstone of that temple and then us being built around that cornerstone. And now we house God in our physical bodies. The, what, what we just what we just got into right here to me is it is the it is one of the most profound concepts that I could ever imagine that that there's a God who created me and and that has a desire to dwell with me that alone just shakes me to my core yeah and it's forever excellent job good stuff all right we're out of time if you want to follow us over to overtime for our therapy session I'm sure, <laughs> sure Jace has something some stories to share blazetv.com slash Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.